Let's pray together as we approach God. Loving God, we praise you for this new day and the opportunity to worship you together. Thank you for the beauty of your creation that we've just sung about. Thank you that we have the opportunity to see your glory reflected in that creation that is around us. We lift our voices to praise you. How great thou art. Thank you too for Jesus, your son and our saviour, for the living presence of your spirit and for your church, the body of Christ. Thank you that you call us to follow Jesus and you give us the privilege of living in obedience to you, knowing it's the best thing we can ever do. Thank you for opportunities to serve you as we serve others in your name. Forgive us, Lord, when we've gone our own way and let you, others and ourselves down, when we've belittled your love and betrayed your trust, when we've allowed pride and arrogance to come before listening to you and obeying you, when we've been anxious or afraid and not trusted you, when we've not loved others as you love them, when we've been self-centred, choosing to serve ourselves and not you or others. We are truly sorry. Thank you that your word promises us that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us. And now as your forgiven children, we pray the prayer you taught your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. The reading this morning comes from John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Thanks be to God. I wonder how many of you have pets. Those who live in Bigger will know that Mike and I have two dogs, Moma and Bruno. People often express anxiety as they see Mike being pulled along by them on their morning run. In fact, in this picture, there are three of them. They're very loving and in fact, both believe that they're lap dogs. 
If Momo in particular misbehaves, he knows he's done something wrong and he hangs his head in shame and runs to the back of the crate, which is his naughty step. They want our approval and don't like it when we get cross with them. They want to make us happy. I'm sure those of you who have dogs know that. We haven't always only had dogs. We had cats who we love very much. Our first kitten was gift-wrapped in a box for Ailey's fourth birthday. Even in Bigger, we had a lovely cat called Lexi, who used to do things like turn the kitchen tap on to get a drink, even though she never turned it off. The cats were loving when they wanted to be. One of them, Cleo, would only come out from under our bed if I was the only person around. However, being loving always has to suit the cat. Cats are very independently minded, and I get the impression don't really mind what anyone thinks about them. A while ago, I came across something called cat and dog theology. A dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. A cat says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be God. You see, a cat is saying, you exist to serve me, whereas a dog is saying, I exist to serve you. No offence meant to cats, it's just a reality, I think. We're going to sing again now, and our next song is Be Still and Know That I Am God, as we prepare ourselves to listen to God's word. This morning, I think our story is about an event that contrasts two people who had similar attitudes to the cat and the dog, as far as their relationship to Jesus was concerned. First, let's set the scene. It's only in the previous chapter that we read of the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead, an amazing event that, told, that we're told led many people to believe in him. However, it had also angered the Jewish leaders, and since then Jesus has been almost driven to hiding. We know that by the time this story takes place, it's only six days to the Passover. Jesus has turned his sights to Jerusalem and the cross. Bethany is only a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, so perhaps he decided to stop off on his way to the city, because clearly he's very close to this family, as is recorded as he's visiting them several times and was moved to tears when Lazarus died. So he's come to have dinner with them. Martha is serving as usual, and Lazarus is eating with Jesus and the guests, which included the disciples. And then in the middle of the meal, Mary does this extraordinary, sacrificial and over the top thing. The reaction is disapproval and righteous judgment from some of those looking on, particularly Judas. So as we look at this story in more detail, I want us to contrast Judas and Mary and maybe see the link with the cat and the dog theology. These days, when we think about a modern city, we think about noise, especially if you, like me, wear hearing aids, and, and sometimes the noise of a city can be overwhelming. But in those days, in Jesus's time, the overwhelming sensory experience would have been smell. No deodorants available, very basic sewage systems, probably no running water, and it was hot, sticky, dusty, and smelly. They say that our sense of smell is the sense that brings back the strongest memories. And as John recounts this story, it's as if he's overwhelmed by the memory of that perfume filtering its way, wafting its way through the whole house, penetrating every corner. 
So let's first look at Mary. What was it that she did and what was so extraordinary about it? And why did she do it? What did Mary do? We read, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. It sounds fairly straightforward, if a bit odd, but clearly from the reaction of those around her, it was astonishing. So what was extraordinary about it? Well, for a start, it was very expensive perfume, about a year's wages worth. Mark says she actually crushed the jar of perfume, so she used it all. I don't even know if such a costly perfume exists these days. We would be horrified to think of someone spending £20,000 or so on a bottle of perfume, let alone smashing it all in one go. And what was the, that was exactly the reaction she got from the onlookers. What a waste. The second unusual thing about what she did is that perfume such as this would normally be used to anoint the head for a festival or a celebration. And yet Mary anoints his feet. And thirdly, it would have been shocking for a woman to let down her hair in public, let alone use it to wipe someone's feet. So why did Mary do all of this? I think the answer is quite simple. She wanted to express her total devotion to Jesus. There's no selfish motive. She's showing Jesus in a practical expression of love that nothing is too much for her to give him. She's willing to make an incredible sacrifice in order to express her love. He comes first. She sat at his feet and learnt from him. She's a true disciple. Her heart is full of gratitude for what Jesus did in raising her brother from the dead. How could she ever express adequate thanks for that amazing gift he'd given them? We have no idea where the money came from to buy that perfume. But that doesn't matter. What is important is that she was over the top in her selfless, sacrificial act of devotion. And she was criticised for it. But you know, whenever people worship Jesus with everything they have got, people will criticise them and say it's over the top. And yet, isn't that exactly what Jesus demands? That we give him everything. That serving him is our number one priority above family, friends, community, routines and other important commitments. That he is our Lord. Not that we give from our excess or the leftovers or when it's convenient or, or that we keep control of certain parts of our lives. But that true devotion means giving him total control of all that we have and all that we are. What did he say to the disappointed young ruler who wanted to follow him? Give everything away first and follow me. Jesus is master, Mary his servant. And why did she anoint his feet and not his head? We don't know for sure, but it is possibly an act of total humility. To attend to the dirty, smelly feet was the task of the lowliest slave, a menial task which no one would willingly undertake. Mary's action denoted great humility as well as devotion and is mirrored by Jesus' own action just six days later as he, much to their horror, washed the disciples' feet. When those around objected to Mary's extravagant waste, Jesus said, leave her alone. 
He goes on to say something quite shocking, which may give us further insight into why Mary did what she did. Instead of Jesus linking the perfume with a festival or celebration, he links it with his death. Jesus says, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. By anointing his feet, it's equivalent to anointing his whole body, as if Mary's action is a kind of symbolic embalming. It's as if Jesus knew that Mary, above everyone else, had truly understood his purpose and that he was going to die. What amazing faith and theological understanding and how wonderful that Jesus sees it in a woman. By using perfume to anoint him for death, rather than selling it to give to the poor, she was affirming what was to come, even if she didn't fully understand it. When Judas objected that the money should have been given to the poor, Jesus goes on to say, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus isn't shrugging off the poor. He's stating the simple fact that Mary's action could only have been done in that week in the whole history of the world. That this was it. Preparing Jesus for death had to happen right then. In this context, the devotion of Mary had to take higher priority over action for the poor. Without the cross, every good work for the poor is meaningless. Mary's action underlines this. The cross has to come first in everything we do, and then we serve the poor. And why did she wipe the perfume away with her hair? In a way, it's odd that she wiped it away at all, except I guess there was just so much of it. Letting down your hair would ordinarily, ordinarily be an indication of being a woman of dodgy morals. This isn't the case for Mary but more that she threw caution to the wind in her act of very personal devotion. And this was all part of ex the expression of it, not caring what others thought. Are we like that in our devotion to Jesus, I wonder? Does it bother us what others think? Or can we abandon ourselves and our fears as we express our love for Jesus? Are we willing to make him and what he calls us to do our top priorities even if others think we're crazy? Are we willing to disrupt our normal lives and routines, going out of our comfort zones in order to follow him? Are we willing to humbly and lavishly bless those around us, even if it comes at a cost? It's as we do all of this that we express our devotion to Jesus, as Mary did. And now we should move on to Judas. How did he react to Mary's actions and why? Well, Judas jumped on her straight away. We read, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was a worth a year's wages. It sounds a reasonable objection. Perhaps one we would have made ourselves. Let's face it, we're often quick to judge over the top actions of others. But looking at this further, it seems Judas wasn't being very honest with himself or others. John goes on to say that Judas did, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas isn't upset that the poor aren't being helped. He's upset because he's losing out financially. 
He can't embezzle the money now that Mary's thrown away the perfume. It seems he's a rotten egg, fast sliding down the slippery slope. What has gone wrong? It's almost as if we are witnessing the disintegration of Judas. He's become dishonest with the group, willing to steal from Jesus and the others through his role as group treasurer. So his devotion and loyalty to Jesus, expected from one of the twelve, is clearly falling apart. He's being dishonest with himself as he says one thing in the passage but clearly meant something else. And then in the next chapter we read of how just six days later he's lost his ability to choose between good and evil and he betrays Jesus for money. Judas had been a follower of Jesus but he goes on choosing a world which revolves around himself. Judas symbolises the way of self-destruction. And I think this is the key. With no offence whatsoever meant to cats, it's as if Jesus lives by cat theology and Mary by dog theology. Judas is saying, what can get I get out of Jesus? What can I get from my master? How can he serve me to advance myself? How can being a disciple fit around me and my life? Mary is saying, what can I give Jesus, my master? What sacrifices do I need to make to serve him? How can I live to please and glorify him? Each day we are faced with two ways to live. We can devote ourselves to serving our master. That's the dog theology. Serving Christ as the Lord and centre of our lives. Prioritising his call on our lives above everything else. Sharing his blessings with the world. Loving those who suffer. Giving ourselves to others and bringing glory to his name. Or we can, spend our, we can put ourselves at the centre. That's the cat theology. And spend our lives following Christ only as much as it serves our own purposes or is convenient. Doing his work when it suits. Fitting in being part of the church around our lifestyle and routines so that we get what we want out of it. Looking for his blessing for ourselves and feeling self-righteous if we do something for him. Can I suggest that each of us look carefully at ourselves, our motives and our daily priorities as we walk with Christ? Are you a Mary who exists to serve God? Or a Judas who sees God as existing to serve you? A dog or a cat? Again, with no respect to cats or cat lovers. I know what I would like to be. Let us pray. Lord God, we ask that you would help each one of us to put you at the centre, to make you our master, one we long to worship, adore and serve. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for all your many gifts and blessings showered on us each day. Thank you for the freedom to worship and study your word for our church family and for your provision for all our needs. Please accept the gifts we offer you, our money, our talents and our time. Use them for your glory, we pray, O Lord.
Amen. Hear our prayers as we bring them before you now. We thank you for the body of Christ and that we are part of that body, the Church. We pray for the Church throughout the world as your people meet together to worship you today. We pray for leaders that would, you would give them servant hearts as they imitate Christ in the way they lead your people. We pray for Christians everywhere that we would have thankful hearts. We pray for those who are persecuted for their faith and ask you to give them courage and strength as they stand firm in their faith and trusted you. We bring before you those in the world who suffering because of conflict or natural disaster. We pray particularly for the countries of Yemen, Afghanistan, Lebanon, Syria and Burma, that they will experience peace with justice. We pray for refugees and internally displaced people all over the world, that they will be welcomed, supported and loved wherever they end up. We give thanks to you today for the gift of new life and pray particularly for the McMorran family as they welcome Brooke into their midst, for the McDowell family as they welcome Hannah and for the Crockett family as they welcome Claudia. Thank you for these new babies, Lord, and we pray for each of these families that you would guide and strengthen them as they parent their children and help them to know you. This morning, in the silence, we bring before you all those known to us who are suffering together in body, mind or spirit. Bring them healing and hope. We pray too for those who are grieving that you will be their comfort and strength. Finally, we pray for ourselves. In the midst of both joy and troubles, help us to make you the focus of our lives. Teach us to adore you. Teach us to obey you and serve you with all of our hearts. Teach us to love you and to teach us to reach out to others with your love. Amen. <laughs> 